Hi, I'm Dr. Judy, and welcome to Supercharged Life, where I help you discover new ways to create success, wellness, and fulfillment, and give you tangible tools to supercharge your life. Today, we're going to talk about something that can radically change your life. And I think it's one of the most important concepts I have to offer you. It is the power of self-compassion. Science shows that giving ourselves a break is helpful to our mental health, productivity, self-esteem, and self-concept, and it improves our overall well-being. In today's episode, I'm going to explain exactly why self-compassion is such a life-changing concept. I'm going to answer some of your questions about what gets in the way of us being compassionate to ourselves, and then I'll give you an exercise that you can do right now to kickstart your self-compassion practice. So let's get started. First, think back to the last time you failed or made a big mistake. Do you feel ashamed or guilty even as you call up that memory now? Or do you accept that error is a part of being human and try to treat yourself with a little thoughtfulness and tenderness? Isn't it unfortunate that for many of us, the most harshly judgmental responses are the ones that feel the most natural? We might even believe that self-criticism helps to motivate us to be better. But this is not the case. Actually, a wealth of research shows that self-criticism often backfires. Besides making us unhappy, stressed out, it can lead to even more negative consequences like procrastination, blaming other people for our problems, and feeling more and more helpless over time. It's easy to berate ourselves when something goes awry, but... What if we treated ourselves as we would a friend in a similar situation? More likely than not, you'd be kind, encouraging, understanding, and forgiving. Directing that type of response internally toward yourself is known as self-compassion. This has been the focus of a ton of research, especially in recent decades. Research shows that self-compassion can be a useful tool to improve mood, your mental and physical health, and also enhance performance and professional growth. So if there's all of these amazing outcomes, why does self-compassion get a bad rap? Funnily enough, compassion is an admirable quality when we apply it to other people. People tout it as something wonderful when they observe it in someone else. But when we apply it to ourselves, we don't always see it in the same way. Sometimes we think that self-compassion is a form of self-pity, that maybe it signifies a weakness, that it's a way to avoid taking responsibility, that it's narcissistic, or that somehow it will make us complacent. Or maybe we just think that it's awkward or corny. We struggle with what it looks like and how to practice it. And that's the truth. Either way, this episode is going to clear up these misconceptions and give you some practical tips you can use today to practice self-compassion. When I work with patients, sometimes they think self-compassion means that they're going too easy on themselves or that they're affirming bad behaviors. And that's not it at all. In fact, self-compassion actually allows you to more realistically assess what's happening and gives you a direct roadmap to self-development. One of the keys to self-improvement is accurate and honest reflection. Understanding our strengths and limitations gives us valuable information about what we excel at and what we still need to work on. When people treat themselves with compassion, they are better able to arrive at realistic self-appraisals and exert balanced thinking about their own actions. 
Studies show that self-compassion is one of the most powerful sources of coping and resilience available to us. It can help us to thrive through challenging times and help us to adapt more to stressors. This applies to everyone from children to older adults, from students to veterans who are at risk for suicide and PTSD, and many different diverse groups in between. People who have high levels of self-compassion tend to brood less about their misfortune. They're less likely to overworry or ruminate, and they generally report fewer symptoms of anxiety and depression. Self-compassion can help us to take responsibility when we're actually wrong. Why? Because we don't feel as ashamed or guilty, and those are feelings that actually lead us to withdraw and sometimes push responsibility onto others as a defense mechanism. And being good to yourself actually helps you to be good to others. People report being more satisfied with their relationships when they have self-compassionate partners. And that makes sense because when we care for ourselves, it engages our ability to love others more openly and truthfully. So how exactly do we define self-compassion? Well, self-compassion isn't the same thing as self-esteem or self-confidence, but they are related. People who engage in self-compassion tend to have better self-esteem and a higher sense of self-worth that isn't totally based on what they achieve in a given moment or whether they make a mistake today. According to Harvard Business Review, people with high levels of self-compassion demonstrate three behaviors. First, they are kind rather than judgmental about their own failures and mistakes. Second, they recognize that failures are a shared human experience because nobody is perfect. And third, they take a balanced approach to negative emotions when they stumble or fall short. They allow themselves to feel bad, but they don't let negative emotions take over. And these three behaviors align perfectly with the three components of self-compassion. This was discussed first by Kristen Neff, who is a leading expert on this topic. And when we talk about that first concept and first behavior, it relates to this idea of self-kindness. Again, when we are kind to others, people watch that, they love it, they commend you for it. But when we're kind to ourselves, somehow we feel guilty about that. And that's a misconception we definitely need to clear up because instead of being so judgmental about the mistakes that you make, if you can just think about being kind to yourself the way that you would a loved one when they mess up, when they fall short, that can be a real direct way to start practicing this concept of self-kindness. And the second concept really relates to our common humanity. Oftentimes when we're very critical and judgmental of ourselves. It actually makes us feel really isolated and alone. And you guys have heard me talk about on this podcast how important it is to have connection. We need connection. Every single one of us, I don't care if you're an introvert or extrovert, human beings are social animals and we need to feel connected to others. And this element of self-compassion is amazing because it really connects us to all the other human beings in the world and the recognition that everyone makes mistakes and feels pain. And when you recognize that very important concept, it'll be a lot easier for you to be kind to yourself in moments of distress. The third concept is all about mindfulness. It's all about the fact that, yes, there have been failures in the past, mistakes in the past, things that you regret doing. And yes, maybe there will be problems in the future, things that you have to worry about. But can you step away from that and recognize the moment for what it is right now? 
And in essence, also recognize that when we experience negative emotions, that they are brief, that they are temporary, that negative emotions are like waves in the ocean. They don't stick around that long, especially if you allow them to just be instead of fighting them or judging yourself for experiencing them. I've talked to a lot of patients who judge themselves greatly for suffering clinical depression or anxiety. They look at other people and they say, well, how come so-and-so isn't suffering and why am I? There must be something wrong with me. And instead of taking that approach of beating yourself up for having a negative emotional experience, what if you just accepted it for what it was and lived in the present moment, understanding that at some point those emotions will dissipate? That's really the concept behind this third element of self-compassion. And when you have all three components of self-compassion, self-kindness, the idea that we are all connected to a common humanity and mindfulness, then you have the perfect package of what it means to actually be kind to yourself and to also reap all of those positive benefits that we discussed earlier in this podcast. So I want to get to your questions about self-compassion now, and then we're going to do a guided loving kindness meditation. This is one of my favorite types of guided meditations and specifically for getting into this concept of self-compassion. It is one of the most easy and effective tools on how to practice it in just under three to four minutes a day. And finally, as usual, we'll finish up with my supercharged tips. And today we're going to talk about how to power up your self-compassion and reap all of those positive benefits we've talked about. So let's get to your questions. And to get to them, I want to bring in my fantastic team, my producer, Stephanie, and my sound engineer, Jackson. Hi, guys. What do you guys think about self-compassion? Hi, I think I, I love this episode and I feel like I know how important it is and it's really hard. Sometimes you're, you're so used to that critical voice in your head that you don't even really realize that it's talking to you in that way all the time. Totally agree with that, Stephanie, especially living, you know, in quarantine, it can be kind of hard to have that self-compassion. So I think this episode is going to be very good for a lot of people out there. Well, thanks for your thoughts, guys. And I will admit that I really struggle with self-compassion. And I am one of those people who, for the longest time, believe that self-criticism is the way to improvement. And again, I think that that is a really common experience for a lot of people. And the journey never really is complete, you know, even though I understand how important self-compassion is, it can definitely be hard on some days to actually exercise it. And that's why I'm really excited about this episode, too. So what's our first question, Stephanie? So the first question is from Julie from Instagram. She said, I struggle with low self-esteem and self-compassion feels a bit out of reach. Any advice for how to kickstart self-compassion when I don't even feel good about myself? This is such a relatable question, Julie. And I think a lot of people struggle with self-esteem issues and then if that happens, it's really hard to be kind to yourself because essentially when you suffer low self-esteem, you might not believe you deserve to give yourself a break. And I think one of the things that we should really acknowledge is that low self-esteem usually comes from a myriad of life experiences. It's not like you had one bad experience and you then all of a sudden struggle with low self-esteem. It usually 
starts in childhood, where maybe you had some early childhood experiences that caused you to question your self-esteem and your self-worth. And then these childhood experiences, they really stick with us. And they start to color the way that we see the world, the way that we interpret the things that happen to us. And a lot of times what happens is that we do this thing called selective attention, where we start to pay attention to the things in our lives that actually reaffirm the beliefs you already have about yourself, even if those beliefs are negative. So you stop paying as much attention to the great things that might actually challenge your pre-existing ideas about self-esteem, but you look for conformatory evidence that essentially tells you, yeah, I was right all along. I'm really not somebody who's that worthwhile. So one of the most important things in order to work on your self-esteem and self-compassion at the same time is to take care of your inner child. Because for most of us, if you struggle with self-esteem issues, it came from experiences in childhood, and those tend to be the most sticky experiences and contribute to the lens in which you view the world. So taking care of your inner child, what does that mean? Well, I recently wrote a post about this on my blog, and I also had a post about it on Instagram. But the idea is that you should treat yourself as if you would a small child. And think back to the time when you were a child and you needed that nurturance, you needed that acceptance. What would you say to your inner child right now? How would you take the best care of your inner child, knowing that your inner child is still very much alive and a part of your psyche? And sometimes it just means that you slow down a little bit, that you do something to treat yourself, that you forgive yourself for a mistake, that you essentially even visualize yourself giving your inner child a hug. And in fact, there's a lot of great inner child guided meditations out there. So those are just some of the primary concepts in which I think when you struggle with low self-esteem, it's a great place to start is to picture your inner child and ask yourself, what does my inner child need today? And that will be the beginning of you practicing self-compassion more effectively. Oh, I love that so much. That was something that I discovered kind of recently and it's helped me a lot as well. Um, so Lisa from Instagram says, how can self-compassion help with productivity? Awesome question. So as I mentioned earlier, sometimes we are guilty of uh, self-criticism as a way to motivate ourselves, but actually it sometimes does the exact opposite. Why? Because when you have this feeling that you're just not measuring up, that you're not good at something, that no matter what you do, there's always going to be a problem. And that's what happens with self-criticism. You know, you just start to see everything in such a negative way. That's not motivating at all. That makes you feel bad about yourself. And that's how it can become counterproductive. Our inner voice, our negative thoughts, they really contribute to how we feel and then they contribute to how we behave. That is the basic tenets of the CBT model. Cognitive behavioral therapy says you have a thought or an interpretation and that then leads you down a path where it impacts your feelings for the day and how you act. So it's really important to back up, have a little compassion for yourselves, readjust your expectations, and then get back on the road to productivity. And the way that I do this when I notice that, for example, I'm not having the most productive day, instead of going right to the self-criticism about, oh, I should have done more, and that's usually the most common form of self-criticism is the shoulds. They start catching up to you. I should have done this. I should have finished this project. Take a deep breath. And allow yourself what I call a mini break. It's really nice to kind of take a little break and gain a different perspective in 
the process. So my mini breaks are for very, very brief moments of mindfulness, whether it's going outside and taking a 10 minute walk or doing a guided meditation or simply just doing something simple mindfully, whether it's making and drinking coffee or maybe I sit at my piano, whatever it is, give yourself a mini break to essentially deter yourself from having this negative thought loop. Whenever we do something that distracts us and distracts our thought process in the moment, it gives us a chance to reset. And then when you get back to it, the way that you can use self-compassion to fuel productivity is instead of thinking about the end goal in mind, what you must accomplish today, reward yourself and compliment yourself for your effort. You're working so hard today. You're doing the best that you can. You're sitting down at your desk, even though you really don't want to tackle this project. Honor and acknowledge the process and your effort as opposed to the actual outcome and whether or not you actually achieve it. And the funny thing is research shows that when you honor and essentially cultivate this reinforcement of the process, you end up actually reaching your goals so much more effectively. This works with children as well as adults. So try it out. And I hope that it helps you. Stephanie, what's our next question? I love this next question because I feel like a lot of people are going to be able to relate to it. It's um, from Fred on Facebook. And he says, I am totally a cynic or rather I'm just a realist. Self-compassion feels a little woo-woo. How should I go about developing self-compassion if I'm not sure I believe in it? And I would just say like, <laughs> especially even thinking about inner child work, which we know is important. There's a lot of people who, as soon as they hear that, there's a part of them that just is so resistant to the concept. <laughs> well, first of all, I would just say that I totally understand what Fred is saying. And I think that even though, as you just mentioned, Stephanie, there's so many of us that understand the research behind why all of these concepts and practicing them, why they work, they still do sound a little woohoo sometimes. And as somebody who really loves the science, you know, I, I sometimes find that there's a dichotomy within me that there's a part of me that's really pragmatic. And then it just sounds like self-compassion is in some ways an indulgence. Like I don't have time for self-compassion. I've got other stuff to do. And so I do understand where Fred is coming from. And, and the funny thing is people sometimes actually relish in being a little bit of a cynic. It's kind of fun to be sarcastic. Uh, misery uh, loves company. There's a reason why there's that saying. And so <laughs> I think that it's totally understandable if you're a cynic uh, that you would have struggles with this idea of self-compassion. I think the most important thing to do is instead of thinking about how much it is or is not part of your personal brand, <laughs> um, it might be helpful to think about where that resistance is coming from. So for example, I've worked with many cynics in my practice and a lot of people have resistance to practices like mindfulness or self-compassion because they feel like for some reason that that feels like a shortcut or an easy way out to happiness and joy. And in fact, it's not. If you think about self-compassion or mindfulness or any of these concepts as skills that you have to hone and practice, 
that is a very pragmatic concept that this is not just something you just have or an attitude you just adopt. It actually takes hard work to be able to practice it as a skill and then be able to reap the benefits. So you don't necessarily even have to believe in all of this stuff. You don't have to believe necessarily that self-compassion works, but if you can just change your lens and your mindset to thinking about these types of things as skills, as things that you have to practice to get better at, it's just like any other skill, like learning to cook, like learning to do woodwork. It takes time and it takes patience to develop it. And if you can think about it as a skill, it feels more practical for people who might be a bit more cynical and kind of know the benefits intellectually, but have a hard time with just the idea or the name of it. So do away with that concept, do away with those types of misconceptions and just approach it as a skill. And there's ways to practice it. There's techniques to learn. And the more you practice it, the better you get at it and the better those benefits become. I love that answer so much, honestly, because I'm a little like Fred when I first started out, a little bit of a cynic, but I appreciate that. I think that's such a good way to look at it. So Mary Ann from Facebook says, how do I teach self-compassion to my kids? My oldest child seems especially stressed out lately, and I think he's comparing himself a lot to his peers. Wow, Mary Ann. You know, I've actually been talking a lot about this with parents, and It's interesting, but I think that parents definitely can see in their own children when their children are not being self-compassionate. It makes sense. You know, as a parent, you love your children beyond belief, and it makes you sad when you feel like they're struggling and when you see that they're maybe over-comparing themselves and believing they don't measure up because you think, hey, you're my child. I love you. Um, I wish you didn't have to feel this way, and I wish you didn't have those pressures of what peer influence is like, especially right now, because now people are comparing themselves to their peers, mostly online and everybody else's highlight reels somehow look a little bit better than yours, but that's because they're not actually showing you their entire life 24 seven. They're just showing you the moments they want to show. And it can be really tough to teach self-compassion to a child or a teenager who is kind of a perfectionist and really hard on themselves, um, or maybe just a little anxious, and that's why they're hard on themselves. The best way for parents to teach self-compassion is through modeling. Children and teenagers are always watching their parents. Sometimes you don't think that they are, but they are, and they really soak in whatever it is that you're doing, and they think about that consciously or, or subconsciously as lessons for their lives. So the first place to start is actually to think about whether or not you're acting compassionate with yourself. And if you have opportunities to demonstrate that to your children and then verbalizing what that concept is. So not only are you trying to live the concept of self-compassion and show it openly to your children, you're also talking to them about it and also talking to them about the struggles, you know, being honest and saying, you know, dad has some trouble with self-compassion as well, but I'm trying my best to be kind to myself. And this is why it's important. And generally just opening the door for them to have a conversation with you. I think that sometimes parents rush to tell their children what they should or should not be feeling. I know that sometimes parents actually even inadvertently exhibit toxic, uh, positivity where they essentially shut down 
their children's negative emotional expressions. Like, well, don't feel sad. You know, you have nothing to feel sad about. You should feel lucky. Right. And even though maybe that's true, um, and maybe your children are very fortunate that actually teaches your children that they can't have those negative feelings. And then they feel even worse about themselves. And so it's important just to open the door and to not judge and just to have open dialogue without necessarily having to have a solution. Sometimes what your children need from you is just for you to listen because they already think that you as a parent, you're going to have some judgment about their behavior. So open the door, have that conversation, admit some of your own shortfalls regarding practicing self-compassion, and then asking them what you can do to help them feel better. You would be surprised at how children and teens can come up with some really great ideas if you don't impose it on them and you involve them in the conversation. And that's actually a great self-compassion skill is just inviting other people to the conversation without judging their ideas and helping them to feel best in the way that they tell you they feel best. So good luck. And I think, again, really, really good question and really relatable. Great. Okay. This next question is from Lindsay from Twitter. She says, I'm a total perfectionist. I feel like if I exercise self-compassion, I would be letting myself off the hook. I worry that I will lower my standards. How can I exercise self-compassion? Oh, Lindsay, great question. I'm a perfectionist too. I think that this must be part of why I've struggled with some self-compassion through the times that I've tried to practice it. And I can tell you from personal experience and also from experience with working with a bunch of my patients who are perfectionists themselves that, yeah, self-compassion is not going to lead to you not having any standards. Why? Because you're always going to be a person who has standards. What self-compassion is going to lead to is actually just a space for you to be able to reflect on your process and actually to do your work better, whatever it is that you're hung up about in terms of your perfectionism, self-compassion in essence, is when you give yourself a little bit of a moment to truthfully reflect on what's going on, as opposed to just rushing to the next goal, rushing to why you didn't achieve something that you wanted to achieve by today, it gives you a time and space to step back and to actually assess the situation for what it is, and to not only acknowledge some of the things that you're doing well, but also to really understand where you're tripping up a little bit more and perhaps need a little more support. If people don't practice self-compassion, then you become very rigid in terms of your pursuit of excellence. You tend to kind of stick to the same formulas, even if they're not working, and then there's always just another uptick, another adjustment, another level that you're not achieving. It's never good enough. And so the most important thing when we think about self-compassion is to really orient this to yourself. Oftentimes when people are perfectionists, they you know beat themselves up for not doing something, but they also will beat themselves up when they do do something. Like it's not perfect, right? It's like something's always not as good as it should be. If you can really tap into that second component of self-compassion we talked about earlier, this idea of common humanity, there literally is no perfect person. I mean, there just isn't, okay? You're not perfect, I'm not perfect, no one's perfect. If you can understand that, that level of self-compassion allows you to step back and say, okay, where can I truly improve and where am I doing great? You know, you have to be able to honor both your strengths as well as the areas that need improvement. So don't worry that you're going to lower your standards. It's actually going to make you better at what you do and better with your goal pursuits. Great. So this next question comes from Madison from Facebook. 
They say, my partner and I are trying to recover from infidelity. I cheated on him over a year ago, just one time, but I feel horrible about it. We've been to therapy. We're trying to work on it, but I can tell that he still doesn't trust me. And truthfully, I have not forgiven myself either. How can I exercise self-compassion when I feel deeply ashamed and regretful of my past behavior? This is a really deep question. And Madison, I understand how um, how tough it can be when you're trying to move past your mistake, but you yourself haven't forgiven yourself. And you also can see that your partner perhaps hasn't forgiven you either. So that makes it ultra challenging. I'm glad that you guys have been to therapy, that you're working on it. But I do think that when we're talking about issues regarding infidelity, one of the most important ingredients to reestablishing trust is that once you work out the underlying issues that both of you are having to the situation, that you essentially almost start with a clean slate again. You know, I, I oftentimes hear that the partner who cheated, they always feel like they're the one down forever, that their partner, whenever they get angry about something else, they bring in the cheating, right? It's like it keeps coming back up. And that's not going to allow you to heal. And you can't have this relationship where it's off balance all the time. And one person has to keep proving that they are trustworthy. If the partner has given you the okay that we're going to try to work on it, it means that they have to work on their forgiveness of you too. But Without considering where they are in their mindset, it's really important that you start that process by having some compassion and kindness for yourself. If you've already explained to your partner that you're sorry, if you've talked about why you won't do this again and why you won't betray his trust, and if you've also talked about the things that underlie this dynamic and why it's been so difficult, because obviously when people are cheated on, it brings up all kinds of issues from your past and other types of things. If all of those conversations have been had, then the best thing that you can do is to treat yourself with kindness. Again, no one is perfect. You made a mistake. You feel horrible about it. And all you can do is operate from a place of self-kindness and also kindness to your partner, understanding that maybe it might take them a little longer to come to the same place. But if you consistently act like you're ashamed and you feel guilty, then it's going to keep provoking those types of same responses from your partner. And also it'll provoke certain behaviors from you that might not create a healthy dynamic. So even though it's easier said than done, the most important thing that you can do for yourself is to think about how you won't betray your partner's trust again in the future. Let's be more future oriented about what you can do in the future and have compassion for your present and your future self, even if you're feeling bad still about your past self. So this really invokes that third element of self-compassion, where it's all about mindfulness. Let's think about how we can create a better moment now. And what are some things that I can do today to create more trust and more positivity in my relationship? Good luck with that. That definitely sounds like a dilemma. And I hope that these tips helped. Well, you guys, I love those questions. I felt like there was so much diversity. Obviously, self-compassion is something that people are thinking about, but maybe they don't know how to actually practice it. 
And one of the most helpful and effective ways I teach my patients who struggle with this is to help them to learn this loving kindness meditation. This is one of my favorite meditations. And if this isn't familiar to you, this is a very specific type of practice that allows you to experience self-compassion in less than three or four minutes. So I'd like to give you the opportunity to try it with me right now. You can do this meditation sitting, laying down, or even moving if you would like to. And feel free to come back to this as many times as you'd like. The more you practice, the more you'll get out of it. That's how all of this works. It's a skill that we're going to hone and cultivate over time. The best thing about self-compassion is that even if you practice it just for a few minutes a day, it makes a huge difference in your life. So let's begin. If you can, close your eyes. Sit comfortably with your feet flat on the floor and your spine straight. Or lay down and allow yourself to get comfortable. Now try and consciously relax your body, shake out your body a bit if you have to, and start by taking a few deep breaths. And with each breath in, think about orienting yourself to this present moment, giving yourself a pause and not thinking about the past or what you have to do later today. And with each out-breath, try to breathe out your feelings of stress, any negative self-criticizing thoughts you might be having, and continue to breathe deeply and take some time to slow down and get your mind oriented to this present moment. Now bring to mind a person you love a person you care about. Visualize them standing in front of you, taking the time to give some detail to this person. Imagine them looking at you, smiling at you, and sending warmth and love to you. And now send all of your love and warm wishes to this person. Repeat the following phrase silently as you visualize this person in front of you that you love. May you be happy. May you be healthy. May you be well. May you be free from pain. And may you reach your goals and dreams. Now focus your awareness on a person who you don't like very much at the moment. Maybe it's someone you're in conflict with right now. Visualize them standing in front of you, taking the time to give some detail to this person. Imagine them looking at you, and despite your conflict, they're smiling at you. Begin to direct empathetic and warm feelings to this person. This person and you are alike. Just like you, this person wishes to have a good life too. Perhaps they're a little misunderstood. Perhaps they're just another human trying to make their way in the world. 
Now repeat the following phrase silently as you visualize this person in front of you. May you be happy. May you be healthy. May you be well. May you be free from pain. And may you reach your goals and dreams. Now let's bring your attention to yourself. You deserve love and support just like any other human being in the world. You deserve to be forgiven for your mistakes. You deserve a little grace. And you and your inner child deserves to be cared for just like you care for others. Just like you wished others in your life loving kindness. Repeat the following phrase silently as you continue to focus on yourself. May I be happy. May I be healthy. May I be well. May I be free from pain. And may I reach my goals and dreams. Now imagine that you're surrounded on all sides by all the people who love you and have loved you. Picture your friends, your family, and other loved ones surrounding you. They're all smiling at you now and sending you loving kindness. Bask in the warm wishes and love coming from everyone. And repeat the following phrase again. May I be happy. May I be healthy. May I be well. May I be free from pain. And may I reach my goals and dreams. Notice how you're feeling right now. Observe your emotions and your thoughts. And before we finish this guided meditation, ask yourself this question. What are you grateful for in this moment? Once you have something you're thankful for, say it silently to yourself. Now, bring awareness to your breath. Breathing in deeply and breathing out. Take another deep breath in. And on the out breath, let it all go. When you're ready, open your eyes and bring your awareness back into the room. So how was that? I remember the first time I practiced a loving kindness meditation and it really did have a profound impact on me. I definitely felt more relaxed afterwards and just like I felt like I created a little bit of space in my busy day. And I really hope that you got something out of that and that you can continue to use this technique to get in that loving kindness, that self-compassionate state quickly. Supercharged tips. Today's supercharged secret of the day is all about how to power up your self-compassion. And I just wanted to make sure that I gave you guys a good routine to think about when you're thinking about how to get into the state of self-compassion quickly. The first tip is to commit to daily mindfulness routines. Mindfulness is one of the ways to self-compassion. If you can just slow down and take in the moment for what it is, it blocks out all of those self-criticisms, those negative thoughts that you might be having, that judgment that causes you to feel bad about yourself and actually derails your behavior. So 
think about something that you do every day. For me, I actually drink coffee every day. So that's an easy one for me to create a mindful routine around. I just remember that whenever I'm making coffee and drinking coffee, that I'm not going to do anything else and just really pay attention to the sensory experience. You can do this with anything else that you do. You can do this with showering. You can do this with exercise, but try to find a routine that is based in something that you do every day. And that way, you know that at the very least, you will have one mindful moment daily. The second tip is to express gratitude out loud or on paper. Gratitude is another one of those direct routes to self-compassion. And as you heard in the guided meditation I just took you through, I asked at the end, what is one thing that you're grateful for? And this is actually how I love to start my morning. When I wake up in the morning, I just ask myself, what's one thing that I'm grateful for today? Sometimes they're going to be big things. Sometimes they're going to be extremely small things. But the most important thing is that you acknowledge it. You acknowledge something that you're thankful for, either on paper or by speaking it out loud. So make sure that you develop some space for gratitude every single day, even if it's just about writing down or saying out loud one thing you're grateful for. The third tip is to practice forgiveness by asking yourself this key question. What if this was happening to a friend? Chances are, if you took that perspective, you would be so kind to your friend, thoughtful to your friend, gentle to your friend. So the next time you find yourself going down the path of self-critique, take a step back, practice forgiveness by asking yourself, what if this was happening to a friend? What would I say or do? And remember to give yourself permission to not always be perfect. And speaking of not being perfect, the fourth tip is all about connecting with our common humanity. Just remember, you're not alone. We all make mistakes. And sometimes it's helpful to talk to another person when you're feeling especially in a place where you're criticizing yourself a lot and you're having a hard time getting out of it. Connecting with somebody who loves you and connecting with them in a way that invites them to also say, hey, you're not alone. I've been there. That can really reinforce this idea of self-compassion that you can then utilize for the rest of the day for yourself. The fifth tip is to nurture your inner child and attend to their needs. It is so important for us to take care of our inner child. And even for those of you guys who think this is woohoo, it is not because science says that our developmental experiences tend to stick with us the most. So if you've had some adverse childhood experiences and really who hasn't, you know, who hasn't had a bad breakup in your teens or been bullied as a kid or, you know, just been criticized by a parent who maybe actually meant the best, but essentially made you feel a little bit like you weren't good enough. There's always some type of wound or hurt that perhaps you haven't paid attention to. So the next time you're finding yourself having a difficult time engaging this concept of self-compassion, remember to reflect on what your inner child needs at that moment. Picture your inner child, picture them as a, a small child who can't always take care of everything for themselves and find some way to take care of that inner child today, whether it's visually giving your inner child a hug or taking a little break during the middle of the day, making sure that you indulge in some kind of small relaxing meditation or activity so that you can reset, or maybe just giving yourself the afternoon off. All of us need a little bit of love and care and especially your inner child. Thank you so much for listening to this episode of Supercharged Life. If you like the show and want to learn more, follow me at Dr. Judy Ho. And remember to subscribe, download, and tell your friends. And take a moment to leave a review. It'll mean so much to me.
I do read all of the reviews that you write me. And today I want to shout out a review. And it was just so lovely to hear their reflections about this podcast. So this listener says, Dr. Judy is so down to earth. She loves what she does and it is evident. She's high energy and very motivating. This is a great podcast. Please keep these episodes coming and I can't wait for the next episode. Well, thank you so much. And this listener's name is Zila Zong. I so, so, so appreciate that very sweet review. And I will try to keep really thoughtful and helpful episodes coming for all of you guys. If you have an idea for me for a future episode, or you just have some questions that you'd like me to answer, make sure to hit me up on social media. Again, I love to read your messages at my Instagram at Dr. Judy Ho. And if you have a question that you want answered on this podcast, send me a DM and I'll try as best as I can to get to them in the next few weeks. I'm Dr. Judy, and remember, any time is a great time to supercharge your life. This podcast has been produced by Stage 29 Productions for entertainment purposes only. The contents of this podcast does not constitute medical, psychological, or professional advice, do not reflect the opinions of this company, any of its parent companies, affiliates, subsidiaries, promotional sponsors, or advertising agencies. The views expressed by the hosts and guests are their own, and their appearance on the program does not imply an endorsement of them or any entity they represent. For medical, psychological, or other advice appropriate to your specific situation, please consult a physician, a psychologist, or other trained professional. For more information, please go to stage29.tv.